0: Awards Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's
1: commercials I see every day for immunotherapy. I remember when immunotherapy was like still in diapers. Now you're seeing commercials of people like playing tennis being like, ask your doctor about Keytruda.
2: From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of patience. You know, there are misconnections, and then there are missed connections, and this one's a doozy, folks. Like me, Dr. Joe Abdo was diagnosed with rare brain cancer in 1996, and like me, is somehow still here 25 years later. Like me, Dr. Joe Abdo's birthday is May 29th. And like me, it took him way too long to get his life together, only for us to randomly meet 15 years later and kick off an incredibly kismet Gemini bromance cancer friendship. You're going to like this episode, not just because it's an incredibly organic reunion conversation amongst friends, but because Joe is definitely somebody you should know about. His pioneering work in genomics, immunotherapy, and biotech have helped millions of patients facing rare cancers in the gastroenterological space, and his company, Stella DX, is invested in educating physicians about giving their patients choice. What an idea, choice, in diagnostics and testing so they can live their lives and deal with their stuff on their terms. I also think my schoolhouse rock, Kung Fu, was especially strong on this episode because Joe likes to use lots of fancy syllables. Enjoy my chat with Dr. Joe Abdo. Joe Abdo, my goodness, it's great to see you again. Live yeah. here in studio at Offscript Media in downtown Manhattan. It's been a minute since we've physically seen each other. In about five years? Yeah, and you were a guest on the Stupid Cancer Show in the paleolithic era of young adult cancer. Yeah, I want to let our listeners know, we talk about niche markets, but what we have in common is more than just random niche markets. Go ahead. So we ran into each other pretty serendipitously at ASCO, right? Uh, yeah, 2015. Mm-hmm. Was, was May- I in the um the 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 square of shame with the other nonprofits in the exhibit booth? Well,
1: no, you came over to my luxurious uh, corporate booth. Ah, I think yes, where <laughs> we had like an espresso machine, right? Because um, this right. was after the Sunshine Act when you couldn't give things away. Right, exactly. The espresso machines, <laughs> yeah. yes. So I think I think that's how we met, and um and then you said you had mentioned something like, "Oh, today's my birthday," and I was like, "Well, so is mine. It was May 29th." And uh, I think because I think you, did your colleague or something got you a limousine and or, yeah, you said every, that you arrived at ASCO in a limo. So everyone thinks that you're like Dr. Scientist. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, I mean, ASCO always happens during Memorial Day
2: weekend. So every year I never got to celebrate my birthday for like, you know, 14 years because I'm always in Chicago. And someone decided that year to just celebrate. That might have been my 40th birthday. I don't know what year it was, but yeah, I remember that. And, and you're welcome for thinking I was more important than I was.
1: <laughs> and, that, and then, as we continue to discuss, we I think we realized that we had both brain tumors, both diagnosed in 1996, both treated in 1996. Uh, I just celebrated my 24 year. Uh, anniversary from being brain cancer free in August. Have my 25th next Do summer. Do you consider, or here's a question, uh, cancer survivor quiz.
2: Do you consider your cancerversary the day you were diagnosed, the
1: day of your surgery, or the day you finished everything, if there was a finish? Uh, I, fantastic question. Answer the question. The question is uh, definitely after by the day of my surgery. So it was... Me yeah, too. Yeah. It was Because, you know, that... They came in, said that my brain tumor had recurred. They were like, okay, you're coming in on August 19th. I'll never forget August 19th ever again. For a whole week, I was like, August 19th, getting my my skull uh, opened (laughs) up again. For a second time should be a doozy. So that's why for me, the, the 19th is the, yeah. my Miami. Physically removing it from my body was
2: the very binary way to think yeah, about that's sure. a good day to celebrate.
1: I completely agree.
2: Yeah. So I had the chance recently, people listening to my show know I had the chance to interview Dr. David Langer, who is the head of neurosurgery at Lenox Hill, who was the second neurosurgeon I ever met in my life, the first being the guy that saved my life in 1996. Yeah. And we talked about
1: what it's like to touch people's brains. So you did you have an open surgery or you were out? I was out. Okay. Yeah, I was out. But weirdly, the second time around, I asked if they could videotape it. And so then when I was older, I don't stop looking at me like that. I asked them if <laughs> hey,
2: hey, look, I asked them
1: if I could keep it uh, and they oh, said, no. All right. So that wasn't, you weren't looking at me like that. And so <laughs> I actually, uh, the older, the older I got, I, some, I had had friends over, we would like bust it out and watch It's kind of, kind of weird to say, but that's as close as I got to touching a brain was I just watched my own surgery, yeah. but I, I lost the tape. So I don't, I don't have any more. Was it Betamax? <laughs> Pretty close. Was it super yeah. eight, like wonder years? It was, I'm not that old. <laughs> (laughs) but it was super it was like you know vhs and i remember i had to like had my own little like rewinder for it that's pretty cool. I, I'm officially like
2: brain surgery video jealous right now.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I don't have it. I, I seriously lost it. I My we, my parents' house, they had like, you know, Beaches and like Rain Man and all these movies and then like Joey's Surgery. And Universal Soldier <laughs> yeah, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, 1996, August 19th. And so it was so funny. And then my friends would come over and they'd always put it on and be like, oh, but, um, but yeah, I never got a chance. But, uh, my neurosurgeon, um, knew that I was interested in anti-cancer. Well, what, know, what were you doing era. at the time? When you went
0: college? I, I was high
1: school. You were high school. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and we went over this a lot on the last time we, we were podcasting together. But, um, yeah, I was a freshman in high school. I was originally diagnosed as an eighth grader, but it kind of carried over through, uh, into my high school years and um and so yeah you were in college right i was a, a college
2: senior yeah oh that's that's brutal so i kind of that's already knew a little time. bit more about what i wanted to be when i grew
1: up yes. like were oh, you already no science geekish no in high not school? at all okay. no i was planning to go into like accounting or business or something until i had uh brain surgery and then i was so actually i, I remember laying in an mri which i know that those are so I'm, much fun aren't they awesome the beat the beats are <laughs> in- <laughs> 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 um so i was i had this that my eureka moment i want to be a scientist while sitting in an mri just because i was in there and i was like these noise okay this thing is clanging around banging around there's a gigantic magnet going around my head and someone had to invent this yeah and it uh it inevitably ended up saving my life i think it was a technology from like the 40s and 50s but they yeah. fine-tuned it and and the pictures are so high definition and they're almost like 3D. And even in 1996, when you and I were both dealing with our indication, the uh, MRI technology was fantastic. And I remember saying, like, thank God this exists because they would have no idea what was causing all these issues, where to go, where to cut open and all that stuff. So, well, yeah. I, I mean, so that's why I, I, I recently had one for like
2: a whatever, 25th yeah, year follow up. i do, But I'm, they're, they're so much faster today remember like 90 minutes in that little i felt like i was inside a log and in, in 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 at night in a forest for 90 minutes just to do my head forget the spine which is like 2 hours long and today it's like oh you're done that's it it
1: was like 30 minutes oh, for, that's, for oh, everything really? i'm due i yeah I, and so that's one of the things i put it cuz my last one that i had was when i got bumped off my family's uh insurance and so I was that's like, a good problem to have. Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> Tell me more.
1: And no, uh, no, like, you know, because I've reached the age limit or whatever. And uh, you know, okay. I was still a grad student. And so I remember I went to my follow up MRI and I got the bill. And my dad was like, have fun with that. <laughs> and um, and so I have been hesitant to go back, but I have insurance now, of course, so. I should I should probably schedule that. So
2: you are now officially born of your condition. You chose to go into a completely different life track because shit happened to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, for sure, hundred percent. I mean, I was just like, just envious of the whole process, and it was a field of of life that I didn't even know anything about. I didn't know about science and all my medicine I uh, talked about last time on your show. I didn't even know what cancer was at the time. Right. When so- people forget that. I live in a bubble Mm -hmm. and then
2: we talk about all these bubble issues on my show and with my colleagues and we always forget the fact that people that enter this space don't know what the hell anything is and it's not their fault. We make a lot of presumptions that they're just going to be their own advocate. They're just going to find this and they're just going to listen to this. And, yeah, what is chemotherapy question I asked of the doctor in 1996? What do those syllables mean? The only time I ever heard that was watching deborah winger in terms of endearment yeah right that was it that was my only pop culture relevance to those three syllables yeah no exactly. chemo therapy, five syllables right i did go to high school i promise <laughs> i believe you to hear in new york though i'm born and raised in new york but i went to upstate uh binghamton uh so- go suny yeah go pirates whatever they were <laughs> were they pirates they're bearcats now they changed who changes their mascot Sorry, Binghamton, I'm railing on you now, but Binghamton changed their mascot. Well, Pirates is super offensive, so. Maybe it was Good. the Buccaneers. I have no <laughs> idea what it was. I'm channeling Johnny Depp. Right. Yeah. So you went to college, you went to grad school, yeah. you got your PhD. Yeah. What,
1: where did you finally center yourself on, I'm going to work on this? Well, I got really lucky because the lab that I worked in at Georgetown School of Medicine had. It wasn't focused on cancer's indications, but focused on becoming basically an expert at analyzing like biochemical mechanisms, whether it's from coming from the genome or the proteome. And so I really cut my teeth on the bench there. And then the first job that I got, I started interviewing around after I got my master's degree. And the first company was a molecular diagnostics company that focused on all solid tumors, and so the day that I went to go interview, I was like, "Please give me this job. Like, this I is where one I, of those yeah, and I, exactly, <laughs> and I was like, "This is where I'm supposed to be and I had interviews for a couple other companies, but I was like, "I didn't even want to go because I was like, yes, this is I knew I just went through college and our Experiences with brain cancer and all that stuff for a reason and I knew once I started at that company I really like brought everything together beautifully And then it that I taught me about the world of molecular diagnostics Which is actually it was very in it as a field in its infancy when we met and so I started there in 2010 we met I think 2014 2015 Still, I don't think it's matured to the level it's going to be. I think there'll probably be a test for every different cancer syndication that's out there. Eventually, the era of molecular medicine precision oncology is just going to keep getting better and better and better and you need diagnostics to be able to optimize therapies and the Least toxic, most efficacious therapies that work in cancer are the ones that have the targets that are there. That right, those are for. a
2: lot of syllables. Let's hit the jargon button for a oh, second. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a third grade
1: education right now. Explain to me what you just said. Oh, well. So in uh, crayon yeah, on the radio. So someone has uh, a lesion, a tumor, if you will, and those tumors express certain things in their. Uh, cells so there's we call them proteins and some of them are like proliferation markers so they they literally sit on your cell uh surface your cells and they say grow 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 more cells more cells more cells and then you have proteins that sit uh, either on the inside of the cell or outside the cell they're called programmed cell death markers or apoptosis markers which tell cells to kill themselves and so our body is constantly in this beautiful dance back and forth of proliferation and apoptosis back and forth, back and forth. And when you lose that balance and apoptosis goes way down or cell death goes way down and cell proliferation goes way up, that's when you get cancer. When the body stops being able to regulate its own death of cells. Right.
2: So like they storm the castle, the wall falls down and then boom, it's the blob. Right. So at the end of the day, you discovered this fabulous system within the body where it tries to not kill cells because they need to be there and yet the cells want to die because that's just natural progress of cells mm-hmm. and yet something happens somewhere in the body at some random point which breaks this system down and the cells are like a prison break
1: correct all right yeah so it's like rather than getting we have cells that are like a stoplight you know rather than get, getting red red lights and yellow lights it's just green lights all day right uh, it's just grow, 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 keep going, and then all the all the cells and and proteins that are there to regulate over proliferation. Are also dysfunctional and can't do their jobs and create that you know homeostasis. So this falls under the umbrella of molecular medicine.
2: Yeah, understanding the molecules and the atoms in your body that do weird chemistry physics things.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not as small as atoms. It's the simple way to look at it is that DNA makes RNA, right? And so RNA is just one single strand. That part I know. And then the little and then there's little pieces of RNA that are called that are made up of am- amino acids that are called peptides and those peptides make proteins. It's not like transfer RNA channeling like AP bio. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's some of that. <laughs> Just tell me I'm dumb. Just <laughs> no. tell me to shut up. I'll but stop. The, the RNA makes proteins in your whole body's proteins. So right. uh, when I started this job in Maryland, I, you know, part of my whole genesis is that I realized that these proteins, where they're expressed, how they're expressed at what rate they're expressed can really help a physician, dictate which drugs to use how aggressive the the cancer is cancer drugs are coming out all the time more targeted therapies immunotherapies as you know are super hot right now and those are all dependent on diagnostics so like you can't prescribe someone a pdl1 immunotherapy unless that tumor expresses pdl1 because the target has to be there and so that's basically you can't buy a nissan until you find the dealership there, thank you. See? Yes, exactly. All right. So that's what that's the, the world of diagnosis. <laughs> I just wanna yeah. dumb this down. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's perfect. And and so that's the the world of diagnostics I became in love with and just because I knew that uh it wouldn't have helped us that much, I don't think, with brain cancer in in the nineties. Yeah, or nothing or no. helped. Yeah. No, maybe MC hammer pants. Yeah, that was yeah, exactly <laughs> sorry Paul <laughs> Abdul's Rush <laughs> Rush or something. Yeah. I have no idea.
2: <laughs> Alanis
1: Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Exactly. So um i just yeah i became in love with as you call it that fabulous symbiotic relationship or or those mechanisms that occur in our body and if you understand them well and can get a product for a physician that's easy to use that doesn't use a lot of tissue has quick turnaround time because you don't want these physicians waiting for more data or more test results on this tissue so you have to be rapid you have to use very little tissue you have to give really good actually actionable information like information that will help them guide either their treatment or to know how aggressive the disease is. So if they need to go really hard in the first line or if they can kind of like take it slow and low. Um, So there's tons of usages for molecular diagnostics and it's becoming more and more common. But um, this is why I love having conversations with advocates like you, because you guys are the ones that really get could really change this field and really bring awareness that there's tons of tests out there and people might not necessarily know to ask for them
2: back with our guest after the
1: break
0: carmax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you because at carmax we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car
2: So wanna get back to how what you've learned and got excited about actually translates to modern day helping people and making it suck less for them. But I I, I had a question for you. It took me seven years to find another you, another young adult with brain cancer mm. that I I I finally felt like unjudged and 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 not alone. Even one person did that for me. You know, we met. 15 years after you went through your hullabaloo, mm-hmm. did you encounter any of the strong Young Adult Universe, any of, the, any of the, the ruminings that were brewing in the mid to late 2000s around young adult? Because we met at ASCO, that wasn't a young adult cancer conference. No. Did
1: you experience any peer support, any community for your age in the 2000s. No, not at all. And, and that's why I think when I first met you and you handed me your car, I mean, like we, we, that was a genuine, like, did we just become best friends moment? Because what you were doing at the time, what you do now, really means a lot to me because I was alone for a really long time. And, and I you said seven years until you found a peer. It was, it was about the same amount of time for me. And it was my, my best friend got diagnosed with testicular cancer when he was a senior at Notre Dame. And so that was the first time where I was actually where he. And then when he got through all all of his things, like he, he and I have this bond now, that and we can talk about things that we can't talk to anyone else about. And it and so I didn't realize that I was literally going through it alone. That's the worst part when Right. you don't know you're alone. Exactly. And then I, and I got to to know about all the work that you were doing, and it was like thank God because there are a lot of cancers. You know, St. Jude is awesome. I, I worked for them for. S- summer semester my dad's done a lot of volunteer work with them but the pediatric cancers they get a lot of press and they get a lot of funding breast cancer obviously gets a ton of press a lot of fun as they should you know it's so a very scary indications very high indications and and they're you know precious people in the in our country but the young adults they're they're told bobkins, man i'm serious and i, I and i know now I, I think hospitals are getting a little bit better just because I've uh, the couple of times I've had to go to a hospital now, there's social workers everywhere, and, and I they just, know you're not eighty. <laughs> right. Hey, you're not eighty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just like they check a couple boxes and bounce. Um, but that's why I really, really loved you. And then the more I learned about all the all the work that you were doing, I was like, I'm so happy that this exists. And then I actually was put in touch with young adults in the Washington D.C. area when I was working there that were recently diagnosed that wanted to know more about molecular diagnostics that some of them even over ordered my test or I got it for them for free because of the, uh, your network. And, um, so I just had one friend that got it and we, we bonded over a little bit, but I was that was, I mean, I really could have used it. I mean, one of my absolute favorite, and this is
2: purely anecdotal, but just super sweet to talk about, is when you're a doctor, when you're educated, when you happen to be someone who understands the landscape because it's your career, Mm -hmm. you become sort of the odd Sherpa to people because you happen to be there. And I think it's really critical that our listeners understand The common thread of my show is when shit happens, there's no greeter. And people that know my story know that I had an uncle who happened to be a geneticist and happened to tell me why I shouldn't do chemo, and that's why I'm here today. Your mom was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, and Mm -hmm. you knew about how to research what and look for things, because you happen to be you and your specialty. Mm -hmm. So your mom goes in, talks to these doctors, and you're like... Hey, she should do this too. And they said,
1: "What?" Yeah, I, that was essentially the reaction. I, it was actually more kind of a like, "Oh, aren't you coy?" Like you, did, you did your Google search what, or whatever. Who did their homework? Yeah, right. And I was just, and you know, I didn't even have to play the the doctorate card. I was just like, anyone can type in multiple myeloma molecular diagnostics. It just so happens that the best test for multiple myeloma was invented sixty miles south of my parents' house in Rochester, Minnesota, at the Mayo Clinic. And so I just said, are you going to run this M-Smart 3.0 assay on my mom's tissue? Because I know you have tissue. You just took a biopsy and you said, oh, you know, or, he's like, I can order it. Sure. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I mean, if you're going to be pushy about it, fine, I'll order it. <laughs> and, and, and so the next so day, not necessary. It's, isn't that crazy? And my family was like, oh, Joe, thank God you came. And I, and I was like, I'm actually really shook that that wasn't the first thing that came out of his mouth before he said, I'm going to treat your mother with such such and such chemotherapies. But she had you. And that was
2: fortunate. And most people don't have a you or my uncle or someone right. else yeah. in their bailiwick to to be that person who didn't know what advocacy meant. Yeah. And another recurring theme on my show, as you know, is is... Not everyone is genetically predisposed to moxie and chutzpah and and just being a little irreverent and demanding a third, fourth, fifth, sixth opinion because they're not happy with what they're hearing. I want to pivot now into what you're doing in the diagnostic space because this goes back to the fundamentals of choice that you don't know you have. And just because all the best uh, oncologists are aware of all the best diagnostic tests and let's say a utopian system where it's yeah. all there, what is still the barrier for someone like your mom to know that there's something else
1: for her to do before or after treatment begins? Well, there's going to be a, a huge change in the next couple of years. I mean, you're starting to see co- commercials during Monday Night Football for Cologuard, which is a molecular diagnostic test for colon cancer. Is that the poop on a stick thing? Yeah, poop in a box yeah. thing, and um, it's a great test, and the company's doing really well, and its specificity is pretty high. And so I would, you know, I would definitely do it if I had, you know, colorectal issues. But um, there's commercials for it. There's a yeah. blue colon walking across <laughs> the screen, being like, "Ask your doctor to order Coligard." Right, and 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 there's commercials I see every day for immunotherapy and i remember when we first met immunotherapy was like still in diapers it was just syllables that meant nothing right and no one knew that it was going to kind of revolutionize molecular oncology or clinical oncology and now you're seeing commercials of people like playing tennis being like ask your doctor about keytruda yeah it's it's the world (laughs) live longer yeah i never thought in a million years matthew that i would be seeing that on monday night football commercials um so i don't know if just because there's commercials for it, that, 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 that barrier still not there. But right. um, do we
2: know how many people are now actively, I think, even going to share that consumer data, how many people are actively now asking their doctors? Because again, I guess it's, it's less invasive, it's less embarrassing, it's less, you know, that weird crap you have to drink and then crap your brains up for a day right. before your test. Yeah. I love the simplicity of it. Yeah. It's much less invasive on your day to day life, getting back to work, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Are more people actually? getting this now? And are the diagnostics companies sharing the information about more people opting in? And is it reducing risk or getting more early detection?
1: I think it's too early to say that. But I do think that the normalization of The diagnostic aspect, because everyone knows about the treatment aspect. Everyone knows about, has heard of chemotherapy and radiation. And now targeted therapy is a little less known, but it's becoming huge, you know, and and that those, those drugs are very efficacious and less toxic than chemo. You use a lot of syllables. No, I don't. These are just efficacious. is like an (laughs) SAT word, bro. How about they work like motherfucker good? Yeah, they work great. And, um, and they're, they're less harsh on your body. It's rather than you carpet bombing with a stealth bomber, you're using snipers. Um, See, you can do I can. it. I can. You can do it. I, we, need, you need to help me. Um, <laughs> and so, I don't know if the volume of diagnosis is going up, but the biggest barrier to me is standard of care right now. So doctors get set in the way. I, I love, onco- I love oncologists. I love pathologists. I have, that's my disclaimer. I love <laughs> Full ser- the ser- surgical You're oncologists. Awesome. They're great. But they, a lot of them have these very precise uh, clinical sequences and protocols that they've been following for years. And then for someone like my company, which analyzes esophageal adenocarcinoma, so we're like a ColGuard, but for higher up in the GI tract. See, you did it again. That's good. Yeah, ColGuard for esophagus. Yeah, that's a, close to what we are. No, one's gonna, no one that has Barrett's esophagus is going to know what molecular diagnostics is, or not right. a lot of people are. So the biggest challenge for me is not to get enough money to work and have a commercial on Monday Night Football. What I am going to have to do is I'm going to have to make studies that show that if you use this test, that it will help you optimize first-line therapy, notify you that this patient's disease is you know, becoming more progressive or staying normal or, or behaving normally. But,
2: but this Cologuard for esophagus is something doctors
1: use, but do patients have to
2: ask for it or your goal is to educate no, more so doctors to
1: have the, the test on the shelf when they need it? Yeah, the biggest competition is not another company, it's standard of care. Right. So it's getting to convince doctors they know what to do when someone with Barrett's esophagus, which is the precancerous condition, esophageal cancer is that e-
2: like ENTs like you find That's this out ga- there in endoscopy
1: ga- gastroenterologist Gastroenter- yeah. okay and so they yeah do upper endoscopies and so they know what to do they've got exactly you know they know exactly what to do. they use internal pathologists they take pinch biopsies they look at things microscopically or with their own eyeballs and they just say it looks about the same um, but they're not looking at things from a molecular level like are, are these markers that I talked about earlier that say grow 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 or the ones that are that say you know kill yourself what are they? What are these cells doing, or what are these proteins doing? They don't know any of that information, and so that's all we're trying to provide for them to say that the, this tissue looks like it's actually turning cancerous, or this tissue looks like it's stable. So you can the ones that are stable, they can come in for their endoscopies less often. So there's a healthcare economics benefit. So this is a risk reduction. Diagnostics. and then and then we will have a diagnostic test for people that you know. God forbid, end up progressing to esophageal adenocarcinoma, which will look at a bunch of targets uh, that are applicable to the FDA-approved therapies for esophageal. So there's like a whole other show
2: we can do about how do we talk to gastroenterologists about you know is this test right
1: for you? How do we get this on your shelf? Exactly. How are they educated about this? That's going to be the that'll be the other show. That'll be by far the hardest part. Yeah, seriously. So, like, I—it's really easy to to explain this to a potential patient or you know someone like you because it's not our job to know this, it's right? Doctors, it's our it's our expectation
2: the doctors know right. this, and the
1: the clinical protocols and sequences that they're already following. They know how to get paid on it. They know how to do it. They're experts on it. And it's like, oh, do I want to add another test? Like, do I even know if this test is gonna Give me information. Am I wasting money by ordering this test? Is it, am I going to waste tissue, which is precious? You know, when they go down there and get that pinch biopsy, that's precious information, you know, inside of that tissue that will tell you if the, if that tissue is, you know, turning cancerous or if, or if it's just, you know, it's going to stay the same for a decade. Um, and so that's that's really the hardest part. I think our biggest competition, people ask me, so who's your competition? That's oh, the standard of care. Well, we we could go on and on. And I'm
2: committing to a second show. I want to figure out, is there a version of my show that we can get gastroenterologists to listen to? (laughs) Let's see if anyone wants to chime in on social and say, not possible, or go forth and figure this out. But at the end of the day, you're a rock star, you're a hero. Uh I mean, 24-year brain brother of mine. I'm sorry it took so long to meet each other. But, you know, once you're in the club, you're family. Yeah. And we have... Beyond the Gemini May 29th, which is, by the way, Janet Jackson, John F. Kennedy, yeah. and Bob Hope. I'm sure there's more, yeah. too. Yeah. If it were Dwayne Johnson, we'd feel complete, but I don't yeah. think it's him. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like I'm, just, I'm thrilled to know you. I, I love that you have channeled when bad things happen to good people, you choose to do things that you didn't expect to do. So you are the master sous-chef of your expertise and as much as i love all the syllables on your homepage of stella diagnostics stellagx.com we'll put a link in the description you know you are the ceo you've chosen to take on huge responsibility in your career to help millions of people have things suck less for them by way of educating doctors it's no small task to do that and i commend you I'll give you the last word because I do want to end by saying that Stella Diagnostics just won the Buzz of Bio Award for 2020. For those that don't know what that is, you can Google it because it's a little geeky, but it's super (laughs) cool. So what's in store for the next 30 seconds of your life?
1: Uh, Getting out of New York and going back to Utah to see my four kids. But uh, thank you so much, Matt, for having me on. And honestly, man... The work that I do and me deciding to you know take on this endeavor, which will obviously cause a lot of stress, I don't have any other hair to fall out, but my beard is turning gray, as you can tell, being able to work with guys like you, and honestly like I am so thankful that people like you exist and i'm I'll be back for work probably in six weeks or so. let's do this again because there's so much more I want to talk about, and i just I'm very thankful you had me on.
2: Dr. Joe Abdo, CEO of Stella Diagnostics, 24-year survivor of brain cancer, my friend. Thank you once again. Great to see you. Thanks, Matt. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell.